Prepare your ears, humans. Happy, Sad, Confused begins now. Today on Happy, Sad, Confused, Quentin Tarantino on Once Upon a Time in Hollywood, Retirement, and Star Trek. Hey guys, I'm Josh Horowitz. Welcome to another edition of Happy, Sad, Confused. Yes, it is a special one today. One of the great filmmakers uh, working today, one of the great filmmakers working in the last 30 years, one of the great filmmakers, I would say, of all time, Quentin Tarantino is the guest on today's edition of Happy, Sad, Confused. For those of you who have listened to the podcast for some time, you know by now that Quentin is actually a past guest on the show. He was on for uh, The Hateful Eight a few years back. Um, That was such a delight. He came into my office back in New York uh, a few years back for that one. This time... He wasn't making a trip to New York. He didn't have anything planned. So let me let me set the scene for you because this is this was exciting. Once upon a time in Hollywood, uh, was doing all of their press out in Los Angeles. Very small amount of press. Um, you know, usually for these kinds of movies or big summer movies, you're looking at multiple days of junkets and premieres and red carpets and and just different opportunities, talk shows. Um, you know, pulling the veil back a little bit for you guys, these guys aren't doing that much press. And can you blame them? They don't really need to. Uh, the, the, it's kind of, this film sells itself in a way. A Quentin Tarantino film, a Brad Pitt and Leonardo DiCaprio film, these things sell the movie. So they don't really need to do that much. That being said, uh, I, of course, wanted to talk to all the principal players, and uh, luckily for me, it all worked out in, in, a, in a really fun way. So, so he, here's what I can tell you. Um, beyond this conversation with Quentin, I also want to tease that I did get a chance to sit down, not for the podcast, but for my work at MTV, an on-camera conversation uh, with Brad Pitt, Leonardo DiCaprio, and Margot Robbie, which uh, even saying that kind of boggles my mind. I mean, I've, I've done this a lot. I've been doing this for a while. I've talked to everybody, it seems like, and including those three guys. But to talk to those three at the same time for what was, a, you know, a solid 15-minute conversation, which doesn't sound like that long, but in television interview terms is actually a significant period of time. Um, you know, we had our own setup. It wasn't like it was. It was just a special. It was a special experience, and, I, and I'm, I'm really proud of that interview. It's going to be up on MTV News's social platforms and on my platforms uh, very soon. Um, we'll be teasing it. We might already be teasing it by the time you uh, are listening to this. Um, but it was a, a real delight to talk to to Brad, Leo, and Margot about uh, their love of movies and their love of Quentin. Uh, and I did really focus on our, all of our mutual love of movies because this film, Once Upon a Time in Hollywood, is a very personal film for Quentin. It is set in 1969 uh, when Quentin was six years old. This is kind of his memories of old Hollywood, of television he grew up on, um, of the, the, the hippie movement that was kind of encroaching on culture at the time. Um, and it... You know, there are a few adjectives to describe this one that you might not associate with a Quentin Tarantino film. Sweet and nostalgic, for instance. <laughs> um, this is this is probably his sweetest film. 
Sure, there's violence in it, but a lot less than maybe you expect. Um, I'm certainly not going to ruin any, anything in this introduction or in the conversation, for that matter, with Quentin. Um, there's nothing in this in this chat that really um, will ruin your enjoyment of Once Upon a Time in Hollywood. Um, all you really need to know is that Leonardo DiCaprio stars as Rick Dalton, who is a somewhat successful television star in the 60s, who is kind of at a crossroads in his career. He's... Uh, not sure where to go. He's being offered like spaghetti westerns in Italy, uh, but he doesn't want to do that. He thinks that's that's beneath him. He's getting offered guest spots on TV shows, and he's really kind of not enjoying the fact that um, the the culture is changing around him. Um, you know, the, the hippie movement, as it were, is really encroaching on his life, and he's not enjoying that. It's a great comic performance and tragic performance from Leonardo. Um, and alongside him is uh, Brad Pitt as his stunt double, longtime friend and stunt double, and kind of gopher. He kind of does anything Leo wants. Uh, and um, as I say in this conversation with, with Quentin, it's just a great movie star role for Brad. Uh, it, it, he's just effortlessly cool, or seemingly effortlessly cool. Um, it's one of his best performances in a while. And then to, to complete the triumvirate, we have to mention you know Margot Robbie, who plays uh, Sharon Tate, um, who of course is infamously, you know, um, uh, sadly uh, left us far too early uh, thanks to the Manson murders. Um, but she just kind of shines as a as a beacon of light in this uh, in this in this uh, in this kind of this kind of hangout movie. Um, it's a great ensemble film, lots of small performances by, by recognizable actors. Um, I definitely, I, you know, I, I'm guilty of gushing in this conversation with Quentin. I gush over him, I gush over the movie, but I stand by it. I love Quentin's work. I've loved all of his films. He, for my money, is one of the best filmmakers ever and certainly was formative in my own um, coming of age as a film enthusiast. And this is definitely one of my favorites of the year. And I say that knowing that Quentin might be listening and might be wondering where this is going to stack up. Because the first thing he did when I, when I saw Quentin, when he walked in the room, when I visited him in Los Angeles, was he gave me shit about, um, I think it was about Hateful Eight. I think he was like, well, you, you put Hateful Eight as your number 13 movie that year. And I was just like taken aback. The fact that he like even like went back and remembered that or knew that, I don't even remember that, to be honest. Um, but that's Quentin Tarantino. Uh, so it's a, it's an honor, Quentin, if you're listening, it's an honor that you're listening and it's an honor that he is on the show again. Uh, I can now say returning guest Quentin Tarantino on Happy, Sad, Confused. So the movie, uh, once again, Once Upon a Time in Hollywood, it opens this Friday. Don't worry, no spoilers in this conversation, but, uh... This is a rare, exciting treat to talk to to a master. And I should mention, I teased already, uh, talking about retirement, Quentin's talked very openly about wanting to hang it up after 10 films. This is his ninth film. Um, and we definitely talk about that and the, kind of the new stage of his life. He's just recently gotten married and what that means to his life and to his work. Um, and of course, as a Star Trek fan, I could not resist talking about um, his association with a new Star Trek film. Uh, yes, Quentin Tarantino has an idea for a Star Trek film that has been written that he may or may not direct, um, but that is pretty intriguing. Um, we cover a lot in this in this chat, uh, including lots of, about future potential projects that may or may not happen, um, scenes and, and scripts that he's written that may or may never come to pass. So if you're a Quentin file like, you, like I am, I think you're gonna, gonna uh, very much appreciate this one. Anyway, I hope you guys enjoy it. Uh, remember to review, rate, and subscribe to Happy Sack Infused, spread the good word, 
And uh, without any further ado, here he is, the master, Mr. Quentin Tarantino. How you been? Thank you. Very good. <laughs> you made a very good movie again. Look ah, you. thank you. <laughs> it's almost like you know what you're doing at this point. Um, congrats, man. Thanks. Awesome. I loved it. Truly, truly, truly. Is it in your top ten so far this year? Uh, yeah, I would hope so. Okay, go on with it. <laughs> Hateful Eight didn't make it. You liked it, but it didn't make it. So. I think it might have. No, it was 13. Shit. <laughs> <laughs> he does his research. Uh, this one will... Well, I'm, not, I'm, not, I'm not being pissy about it. Or... <laughs> You, you generally liked it. We had a great conversation we did, about we it. We did. Um, this one will be filled with love, too, because I adore this movie. Uh, it's always good to see you, man. You too, mate. Um, so let's talk. Uh, this one, uh, filled, as always, with amazing characters. Um, Sharon, Rick, and Cliff, I feel like, are like the three parts of Quentin Tarantino, in, in a way. In a way, in a way follow my logic here. I was watching it. I was like, okay. Sharon's like wide-eyed love of movies and, and Hollywood. Rick may be a little cynical, upset that the world feels like he doesn't understand the world around him, the modern world. And Cliff is just the coolest guy in the world that we all aspire. Yeah, and just hope in to this be. Zen state. <laughs> He's just like it's I, all good. It's all good. I just want to spend one day as Cliff. Um, but you love these characters. Man. Yeah, I can and, tell and, you and do. I think there is a there is an aspect of my personality in all three of them to some degree. Yeah. <laughs> Talk to me a little bit. So does it start with uh, the setting or the characters at this time around? Oh, that's interesting. Um, I think it did start with the characters. I, I, it was about... Um, <clears throat> once I came up with the setting, then, then I had a real structure that I knew that I could tell an interesting story. But I think the, uh, the closest thing to an initial germ of it was I was working with an, uh, uh, an actor... This is like a decade ago or so. Who was a, a cool older actiony actor, and uh, uh, he had a, a long time stunt double, maybe for fifteen years or so. But we didn't really have anything for the guy to do. But then the actor came to me and he was like, "Hey, you know, there's this one little bit here. My guy could do that, and I don't I, I want to bust your balls about him, all right? Uh, because I know he's not right for this other things. But like, he could do that, and if I could." throw him a little something something that would that would be nice yeah sure 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 so he, he comes up to do it and you could tell that these guys had worked together for 15 years and you could tell that there was a time that they probably looked like identical when they wore the same outfits you could right. almost shoot close-ups with the stunt guy right but this wasn't now now they had gotten older and the stunt guy had gotten a little bigger and everything and and this is probably going to be the last couple of times this would be the end of the trail Maybe a couple more times, but that's it. And, um, and I thought that was an interesting dynamic. And then uh, I remember uh, I usually talk to stunt guys as if they're actors because that's the only way I kind of know how to talk to them. And um, so he did a stunt. He did his gag. And I come up to him and I go, uh, so are you okay? Did you, did, did you like that? He goes, yeah, yeah. So are, are you happy? Are you happy? And, and he, you know, the, say, the, say the actor's name is Joe. Hey, if Joe's happy, I'm happy. <laughs> I'm like, oh, okay. This guy's not really working for me. <laughs> no, he's in service. So. He's, he's working for Joe. Yeah. All right. And then I would like kind of watch them hang out together for the rest of the day on, on the set. And I was going to say in their director's chairs and talking to each other. And I go, that's a really interesting dynamic. If someday I do a Hollywood movie, a behind the scenes about making movies movie, 
That could be an interesting way. Yeah. That could be an interesting relationship as a porthole into a into a Hollywood story. It's interesting because it, it like gets at like what really seeps throughout this film, which is a love of not. There's. On, on one level, this is a, a movie that like loves movie stars because you've cast like great movie stars in mm. like iconic movie star roles. Yeah. But it also has such affection for the Rick Daltons, yeah, yeah, uh-huh. the, the forgotten actors oh, of that so, yeah. time. Who it's funny because it reminds you, as if we need more reminding, like of how much luck has to play in mm-hmm. this industry. Mm-hmm. You know, if Rick Dalton goes left, he turns into Clint Eastwood. Yeah, if he yeah. goes right, he's a forgotten '60s semi. Professional, semi-successful actor. No, no. I mean, look, I mean, you know, uh, uh, um, <clears throat> Rick didn't pull off the TV to movies transition because he wasn't good enough. Right. You know, uh, um, he wasn't quite hot enough to get better movies. The, the studios just kind of put him, plugged him in the kind of action vehicles that would uh, uh, you know, that the people who like him on his TV shows. Yeah. You know, so like slightly bigger budget westerns. Yeah. Um, but you know, he's not the kind of guy who's going to. Get the Magnificent Seven. Right. He could get a part in Guns of the Magnificent Seven, which is like the third <laughs> sequel with uh, uh, where, uh, George Kennedy is, is right. playing Chris. <laughs> All right. Uh, and actually, that's a pretty good movie, frankly. Uh, um, but uh, uh, that would be the kind of thing he could get in. However, in the right movie and the right role, he could have pulled it off. Totally. But he does kind of get in his own way because he actually, you know, uh, um, I'm a little less sorry for Rick than other people are because I actually think he has a pretty good career and he doesn't have anything to feel bad about. And it's a bit of a pity party on his side. And not only that, he doesn't even appreciate what he has because part of his problem is he just wants to, you know, he wants to be rich and famous more right. than he wants to be this really great actor working with the greatest directors in the world. Yeah, he doesn't share your taste in film. And he definitely doesn't <laughs> share my taste in film. No, but but a lot of those guys didn't, though. It's like, you know, when he's like, oh, my God, I want to go to Italy and make horrible spaghetti westerns. Right. They were all very xenophobic. Actually, one of the lines that Rick had afterwards, which I've heard some actors of that era say, we cut the scene a little shorter. And he goes, oh, Italian, Italian westerns are awful. And I, hey, look, I grew up watching Hoot Gibson. I'm, you know, uh, uh, I don't even watch some Italian western directed by Guido da Fatso. Yeah, I'm still mad that Dean Martin's in Rio Bravo. <laughs> <laughs> the, I, uh, so, so much other stuff also occurred to me. So I'm watching this movie, and I'm like, you go from Hateful Eight, which arguably is one of your most like plot heavy movies. Yeah, uh-huh, yeah. And this is a hangout movie. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh-huh. This is this is about Probably behavior. Probably like the nastiest movie, the meanest, the nastiest movie. So your most nostalgic, like, sweetest movie. Yeah, yes. yeah. Right. It's and it's. I, I don't know if it's a, if it's about confidence coming later, you know, on your ninth film. But like, you know, you obviously know how to write amazing dialogue. We've known that from the start. But there's so many great scenes in this of just human behavior, mm-hmm. of people walking, of people making food for themselves, of yeah, people yeah. eating. Mm-hmm. Do you think some of that has come from just knowing you don't need to overwrite a scene? You can let let action play out. Well, you know, it, it's it's a. Uh, uh, um uh, it, it just kind of got bored out of this film. Like, for instance, I've been like working on this script for about five years or so. I wasn't in any hurry. And the first few years was just kind of getting to know who these characters were. And uh, like I said, not in a, I'm now writing the script kind of way. Yeah. All right. Uh, and then by the time I was ready to do it, which was, you know, about two years ago, uh, 
when I'm ready to do it, I kind of knew who the characters were So it, by this point. And so it came down now to, okay, well, what kind of story do I want to tell mm. now that I know who these guys I, I have my milieu. That's going to go a long way. I have my ending. That's going to go a long way. Uh, uh, and I have these characters. And I have all this stuff. Uh, and there was a time that I had thought of maybe uh, making the characters in, get involved in a more melodramatic kind of story. But now that I had actually kind of had all the things that I wanted, I was thinking, I don't think I need a story. I think I can get away with just a day in the life. I think these characters are strong enough. I think the milieu is strong enough. And whether we want to or not, we're heading towards an event. Yes. And that can be my dramatic motor that keeps us going. We don't want to head forward. We want to revel and live in this like yeah. idyllic. Yeah, but we're forced to go forward. Yeah. Every scene with Sharon is getting her closer to the murder. And, uh, and that could work as a dramatic clock yep. on the film. And with that, I don't really need a story. And I would rather actually just tell a day in the life of three people in Los Angeles as they just go about their day. Right. You, uh, I mentioned before, I, I mean, I think Leo... Hey, Leo is like the most underrated comic actor, I think, out there. He is like, you know, simultaneously tragic and and, and (laughs) And hysterical and ridiculous in this movie. Um, And Brad, it's just like an ultimate movie star part for him. He's just, here's my alt uh, uh, casting question. Mm -hmm. Tom Cruise. Mm -hmm. Was he going to play Cliff? Well, we we talked about it. And that's intriguing in its its own right. I love what Brad did, but like the notion of Tom Cruise being in a Quentin Tarantino movie. Mm -hmm. Well, he's a great guy, you know, and and, 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 uh, uh, we we really hit it off and it could happen on something else. Um, But, you know, the reality, though, is, uh, you know, people ask, um, was it always these two guys? And, And I'm like, well, it's the casting coup of the decade. I can't. You can't count on that, all right? They both have to respond to it. They both have to want to play those roles. They both have to be available. I mean, there's a whole lot of stuff there. And if you're casting an actor, if you're casting a team where the one guy is a double of another guy, then they have to match up in the right kind of way. You know, so the reality is, you know, I had maybe eight different pairings. of actors that could go together in a realistic way in this kind of situation. Now, the ones that I got were definitely, were definitely my number ones. Yes. All right. Well, I got my number ones, but I had, but I could never just be confident about that. I had to have a few different backup uh, backups and a few different uh, exploratory ways to go. Right. Interesting. Only a few people can, can say Tom Cruise is my potential backup. Yeah. <laughs> You're in a good space, sir. I didn't quite look at it like that, but, uh, <laughs> Um, were there any um, other late 60s TV shows that you almost uh, slotted Rick in? It occurs to me you could have been in season three of Star Trek. I know you're a Trek fan, Mission Impossible. There's a lot out yeah, there. Yeah, there's not going to be anything that cool. I mean, I actually <laughs> like the idea. Friend? Yeah, yeah. I actually like the, yeah, no. I don't, I, I'm about to see Rick dining out at Trekkie conventions for the next 20 years. <laughs> you know, uh, you know, like William Campbell did. <laughs> Roger C. Carmel. You know. Uh, yeah, uh, that table in the back past uh, yeah, DeForest Kelly. Oh, yeah. I, I, I actually think Mud probably has a place of That's honor true. at a, a Trekkie convention. Convention, um, but uh, um, uh, but I, I I get a kick out of the fact that you know it actually would be a little better if if, if his guest shots were like Gunsmoke and Mission Impossible and, and you know 
Mannix and yeah. kind of cool stuff like that. I mean, he's he's in really juvenile crap. Yeah, Leo, Leo was just telling me that Land of the Giants was yeah, yeah. discussed as like uh, uh, yeah. is in the script at one point. Oh yeah, at one point there. At one point, I had a little. Uh, uh, I had the little girl who was a fan of Land of the Giants, and so she, so she brings it up. She goes, "Wait a minute, I know you. You're on the Land of the Giants. That's my favorite show. You were so mean to the little people." And then you like saw an image of him over the little people. But the uh, 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 that Matt Damon movie Downsizing came out, so they kind of <laughs> used all, all the good visuals for like, okay, I don't need to do that now. Without that movie, I might have done that, all right? <laughs> that would have been a neat visual, but well, they kind of, they squeezed all the juice out of that. <laughs> uh, random, but we met, but we mentioned it. I went to Star Trek conventions as a kid. Did you mm-hmm. ever go to Star Trek conventions? No, I never did. I never went to a Star Trek convention. Okay. Yeah. Uh, I, I, would, I, I used to go to the, that, in the 80s, that shrine, that shrine comic book convention that would happen like the first Monday, of, or the first Friday, of, well, the first Saturday of every month or something like got that. Got it, got it, got it. Um, what what was I know there's this Star Trek project potentially mm-hmm. still still out there that mm-hmm. was a, correct me if I'm wrong story idea by you someone else has scripted it well it's an idea that uh, an idea I had then we got together and, and talked it out yeah. and then uh, uh, we hired uh, uh, Mark Smith who did uh, Revenant to write the script so where's that at? just as a Star Trek fan and as a fan of yours mm-hmm. I'm just like fascinated is that like what what is that as much as you can say like. Is it in the current timeline? Is it? I, you're a fan of the original series, yeah, I know. Yeah, yeah. Uh-huh, uh-huh. So what is it? Yeah, it's like uh, um, I don't know how much I can say. Uh, um, uh, the one thing I can say is um, it would, yeah, it, it it would deal with the the uh, um, the Chris Pine okay. timeline. Now, I still don't quite understand, and JJ can't explain it to me. Whatever, and my editor has tried to explain it to me, and I still don't get it. All right, uh, Fred, asking about something happened in the first movie that now kind of wiped the slate clean. Right. I don't buy that. I don't like it. I don't appreciate it. I don't fuck that. All right, I don't like that. You know, uh, uh, um, I'm going to lead you down a road. You want the Guardian of Forever to have happened, don't you? Yeah, I want. I, I, like, <laughs> I, I want the whole series to have happened. All right, it just hasn't happened yet. Yes. Um, and uh, and no, Benedict Cumberbatch or whatever his name is. All right, it's, it's not, not Con. Con yeah. All right, Con is Con. <laughs> <laughs> um, uh, I and I told JJ go like, I don't understand this. I don't like it. And then he's like, ignore it. <laughs> Nobody likes it. I don't understand it. I just do whatever you want. If, if, if you want it to happen the exact way it happened on the series, it can. So, so that's more in line with what you're You're honoring the series that you loved and came up with. Yes, exactly. So. Yeah. I mean, that, and ultimately why, I'm, why I would be interest, interested. Somebody asked me, like, okay, well, what is it about Star Trek that you like? Yeah. It's easy. William Shatner. I love William Shatner as James T. Kirk. That's why I like Star Trek. Yeah. The why, reason I like Star Trek more than Star Wars is because William Shatner is in Star Wars. <laughs> uh, you know, uh, uh, William Shatner, especially as I actually like William Shatner in almost everything, but William Shatner as James T. Kirk is that—that that is my connection. That is why I like right. it. Like, I liked CSI because I liked William Wait Peterson <laughs> as Gus Grissom, um, and so the reason I was actually intrigued by the J.J. Abrams uh, uh, version of it is because I thought Chris Pine did a fantastic job not just playing 
Captain Kirk, but playing William Shatner's Captain. He is William Shatner. Yes. He's not just another guy. He's William Shatner's Captain Kirk. And it's literally, uh, 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 Zachary Quinto is literally Leonard Nimoy's, because they both in the same scene together, you know, uh, he's his Spock. And they fucking nail it. They did. They the, just nail it. J.J.'s casting genius is yeah. impeccable. Yeah. And he did the same thing kind of in Star Wars in a different way mm-hmm. in discovering new talents. Yeah. It's amazing. Um, so I, I know it's often brought up, and, you, you know, I don't know how much you enjoy talking about sort of the, the ten and done or when you're at 60, you know, hanging up your spurs or not. And you've certainly left the door open, you, mm-hmm. you know. Your decision can change, um, but I'm curious. Like, what do you what do you envision your post film career to look like? Uh, is it is it writing? Like you've mentioned plays and film criticism and novels. Like, yeah, it would be right. It would be it would be writing. It would be it would, it would be writing. You know, uh, it'd be a lot of writing. And uh, you know, I just got married. I'll be having kids. It's, it seems like a pretty good job for a dad. Yeah, you know. Yeah. Uh, uh, um, and so, um, yeah, it would be it would be writing. I, I I could do a TV series. I could do a TV movie and everything. But you know, I could and I probably will. But it's more about writing. Yeah, it's more about writing. You know, writing cinema books and you know, writing plays and just uh, uh, um, I, I I just. But don't you love being on a set? I mean, there's the famous mantra that you you know that you and the crew. You yeah, know, yeah. Why do we do this? We love making movies. Yeah, yeah. Like, I mean, no. I, look, look. I, I do love it. At the same time, though, takes a lot out of you. What? Uh, well, in two years, it'll be thirty years. There's actually not that many di- directors who've had a thirty-year career, where at the end of those thirty years, they still have yeah. opportunity. You've, uh, yeah. been, you've been more than a relevant director, is to put it mildly. You have been mm-hmm. at the top of your game mm-hmm. for 30, at 30 years, and that is kind and, of unprecedented. And the thing is, you know, it's like, you know, and frankly, that's an invigorating, lovely, wonderful place to live. Right at the line of, 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 of the zeitgeist and right at the line of influence. Yeah. And, you know, right at the line of where, like, an athlete would be. Yeah. At their... At their talent, their their gifted years, uh, and like I said, I have a wonderful opportunity. And most people wouldn't be able to get Brad and Leo together to do a ninety-five million dollar art film where I get to change Los Angeles back into nineteen sixty-eight and do it with minimal CGI. Yeah, that's wonderful opportunity. Uh, you know, at, at the same time. In order to truly live that life and to live that opportunity, I've I've I've, I've given up a lot. You know, I uh, you know I haven't gotten married. I haven't allowed myself to do things like that. I didn't have kids. Well, now I'm married now, and because uh, now, now 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 it's time, and I'm in love. But the thing is, though, it's like a. Uh, uh, I need to pass the torch. I need to step. It's not about oh, dropping the mic. You know, there you go, match that <laughs> shit. All right, you know, uh, I, I'm far less arrogant about that stuff. Kind of now, it's just more like uh, um, uh, it's time to put the hammer down. Yeah, and it's not because we've talked before about sort of like you know, the, it's very a very common practice of, of quote unquote aging filmmakers who who lose a step more mm-hmm. than a step. Mm-hmm. Of like, do you, do you think you would know if you've lost a step as a filmmaker? Do you have somebody in your life to call you out on it? Or do you think you have enough self-awareness to realize, like, I'm not at the top of my game anymore? Well, I, you know, well, the thing about it is, like, at, you know, at a certain point, it's like, you know, you, you just, like, I'm not going to go walking through 
the career I'm not going to have (laughs) doing assignments and doing movies for the wrong reasons and everything like that. It's just more like, you know, uh, uh, um, look, 30 years is a long time and it's a long time to be in that position. And now it's a little, now, now it would be nicer. Now it would be do my work, end it, and then step back and take the more, more modest life of a man of letters. <laughs> Let's talk about, um, I mean, this is a movie that's uh, about a very pivotal moment in time for the culture. Uh, arguably, we're at a very pivotal moment in time for the mm-hmm. culture again, and spe- specifically about the film industry. Um, you know, again, we've talked about, you know, you and Nolan and others, you know, mm-hmm. holding on to film. But it's more than that. It's more than just that. It's, mm-hmm. it's, 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 it's how long films are. It's where we watch them. Mm-hmm. Um, in 10 or 20 years, what do you think? Do you think film is going to exist in the form that we're watching it now? Do you mean, do you mean film, film itself or do you I'm mean movies? Film itself. movies? Movies. I can honestly say, and it's, one, it's a good reason to get out, frankly, to tell you the truth. I can honestly say I have no idea. What the, and I don't think anybody does yeah. what the next 20 years are going to be. I don't think we have an idea of what the next eight years. Yeah, it's moving so fast now. Is, 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 is Quibi going to change the way we consume like, content? It's just, yeah. Well, I mean, already the way we consume content is, 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 is just completely different. And, uh, and if I was in, and frankly, if I was in any other, uh, pretty much any other art form, I wouldn't be able to work at this level. All right. If yeah. if I was me as a a, a singer songwriter, well, the, the bottoms have fallen out of albums. Yeah, has fallen out of the music industry. Yeah. All right. Uh, 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 if I were a novelist, well, no one's really buying books anymore to, to the degree like they were. The you know they don't even spend money on on uh, book tours like they used to. If I was a film critic, would I even have a job right now? Yep. You know. You know. So it's like you know. I mean, oddly enough. <laughs> Movies have been hanging in there, at least as far as like, at least some movies having a theatrical life. Yeah. That people still go out and pay money to see a movie. Uh, but we might be the last man standing. Other than <laughs> concerts, we might be the last man standing. It, yeah, it might take on the, the life of, of quote-unquote theater. Yeah, yeah. Uh-huh. Of, of a little more. Well, that seems like where it's heading, frankly. Right. Mm-hmm. What about, I mean, the, the you talked about TV. Uh, you know, you kind of re, uh, rejiggered Hateful Eight. I, uh, uh, or, uh, yeah, Hateful Eight for, uh, for mm-hmm. Netflix. Um, have you watched any long form or kind of these kind of miniseries things and been impressed by what filmmakers like? I mean, I just watched Haunting of Hill House. I thought Mike Flanagan did an excellent job on mm-hmm. that. People say, you know, True Detective. Mm-hmm. Um, does any of that um, approach to storytelling impress you or oh no it, it impressed me it, it's like you know i was i was interested in that idea 10 years ago or yeah. you know i was like you i almost wrote, glorious, right? i almost yeah. wrote inglorious bastards as a miniseries yeah. and at the last second i changed my mind uh, um you know and uh but like in today's world i might not have changed my mind right you know i'm like no this is the way to go bear down you know right uh, um uh, well, it was. It's interesting because. Uh, um, oh look, yeah, th- there's definitely shows that I like. Oddly enough, I don't get caught up. <laughs> the shows that I find I've, I've, I find myself watching are. Uh, I mean, like the the show that me and my wife really watch. We're we're way behind. We're like back still in season three, but uh, uh, we really like watching the Americans. I, I, that's on my yeah. All right, yeah. So she loves the that's Americans. The so she'll watch the Americans anytime I want to watch the Americans. Yeah, you know. Um, 
uh, oddly enough, my favorite show right now on TV is 911. I really, really <laughs> like it. It's, it's really, I, I, I cry at the end of every episode. Is I, it a single kind of procedural? There's no, it's, is there no, it's, a it's, it's narrative it's a, a little it's bit? A, yeah, it, it's like a, a um, much more dramatic and emotional emergency. Got it. <laughs> I think I got the short so Ryan Murphy version of emergency, but that's actually a really good version, frankly. <laughs> um, I wouldn't ask most filmmakers questions like this, but I wonder if, if, if you, as, as kind of, you're as much a critic as a, a filmmaker, if you can be like self-reflexive on your own work, like wh- what do you think your best movie is? Um... I think it kind of depends. I mean, it's like uh, uh, to some degree or another. I think it might be a battling it out between uh, 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 um, this one and Inglorious Bastards, and maybe if your taste runs towards Pulp Fiction, are right, kind of the three that are slugated out for top top spot. Mm-hmm. Um, if Excuse me. Uh, so that's one way to look at it. Uh, at the other, another way to look at it would be um, Kill Bill as one movie could be considered my best movie because it's the one that seems like the most completely from my id. Yeah. Of course, you could almost say that about this too. You know, if both of them would be the ones that came straight out of my head. Right. If it, does, it feels like if there was a Quentin Tarantino theme park, I would be walk, walking around yeah. upon a time in Hollywood yeah, <laughs> with, yeah. with a Kill Bill land on the corner. Yeah, yeah, yeah exactly. <laughs> have lunch at the House of Blue Leaves. Exactly. <laughs> <laughs> um, have you looked at um, whether there's a treatment or anything at, at Kill Bill Volume 3 in a while? Have you been thinking about it? Yeah, no, me and Uma have been actually talked about it recently, frankly, to tell you the truth. All right? You know, I'm not sure if it's, I'm going to do it, but I have thought about it a little further. Okay. And uh, um, if any of my movies would be taken, um, me and Uma literally were talking about it last week. All right. So if any of my movies were going to spring from one of my other movies, it would be the third Kill Bill. I was going to ask, like, is there a character, maybe you just answered as the bride, but is there a character that you think about most often from your previous works, just like whether it's just daydreaming or, or, or writing in your journal or whatever, that's kind of lived a life off the screen in your own brain. In oh, that's, a, that's an interesting question, you know. Um, I think the four that would probably qualify the most, because they're the ones I've kind of, from time to time, I go back to thinking about them a little bit. Um, it would be uh, uh, the bride, Bill, Londa, and uh, Aldo. Oh, really? Yeah. So it's like you know. Uh, uh, I thought the Vega brothers were going to be in there. But... Well, I like them, anything, but I don't really. Uh, but you know, I've I wondered about what happens to the bride. Yeah. You know, ten years later, fifteen years later, what happens to her daughter? Um, with Bill. None of these I've worked out scenarios for, right. all right? But, like, you know, uh, the whole Bill origin story has always entranced me with the idea of these three godfathers, uh, uh, Esteban Vejeo, the Mexican pimp, uh, Hattori Hanzo, mm-hmm. and Pai Mei, mm. and how he had to go through all three of those to become this diabolical Bill. Um, and then... Um, uh, I've wondered often about what happens to Londa in Nantucket. 
<laughs> all right. Yeah, he, he's wearing. Uh, he wears a, a wig with bangs. All right, to cover, <laughs> to cover uh, that unfortunate uh, mark. Yeah, to cover his mark. All right. Also, he's actually known as the hero, the hero of World War Two, right? because he brought down uh, right. uh, him and Rain brought down Hitler, and, the, and that is, that is the history. That's in the history books. Right. What would the history books read? Well, they're going to read that you're the hero of World War II. <laughs> we know that's not true. Right, right. But he is. Um, do you think about uh, that as in, in, in novel form or something else? Well, like, I don't think I'll ever do it, but I did like the idea. Uh, uh, it, it might be something I do when I'm older. Uh, but um, I like the idea of, I, I, again, I don't think I'll do it, but I like the idea of <laughs> Writing a series of Hans Landa mysteries. <laughs> so it's like 20 years after World War II, and yeah. he's living on Nantucket, and then a murder happens on the <laughs> island, and and he, you know, he's the detective. Oh my god! And he's the amateur detective, even though he's one of the great detectives in the world. Yeah. All right, and he figures out who the murderer he's is. He's got and, the pipe ready, and, and that would be a, yeah, the, the series of Hans Landa <laughs> mysteries. And, and uh, and I thought that Brad Pitt would come back to uh, Aldo Rain would come back to America, and like Audie Murphy and like uh, 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 Frederick Zoller, he would kind of get a movie career, all right, for being the hero of World War II. And <laughs> Aldo can pull it off. Amazing. <laughs> Everyone would be wondering what happened to his scar. What did he get to get that scar? <laughs> it's been a while since you've handed over like something you've written to someone else to direct, mm -hmm. would you consider that? Like, is that something that would be, is like, is there a filmmaker, like Tony, obviously Tony's got to hell yeah, a yeah. service uh -huh. to true romance. Is there a filmmaker that you would be intrigued to, to do an interpretation of your words? Uh, there's nothing right now. All right. Where that I think I would like, Oh, I would want to sit down from scratch and, and, I would want to sit down from scratch and, and, and write an original script for blah, blah, blah to do. Yeah. Okay, then I don't really have that right now. Not to say I, I couldn't later. But like, uh, um, but like for instance, like say, uh, oh, here's a little example. Say I, okay, say I read a book, for instance, and I thought that book would be good for Sofia Coppola. Okay, well, before I'd ever come up to her with it, I would finish reading it, and I might even kind of work it out in my head a way it, it could be adapted, at least an approach. Sure. And then I might call her up and say, hey, look, I've got this book that I think maybe you'd you do a really good job with, and let me send it to you. Yeah. Now, I don't own it. I'm just trying to give her something good. And then if she wanted to talk to me about it, and she responded to it to some degree, I'd talk to her about it. And frankly, if she wanted to, and if she liked my ideas and she wanted to write it together, I probably would do it, because that would be fun. Right. No, I'm just literally making this up, yeah, all right? yeah, you know, you, but I mean, but that's something I could see happening. Do you, do you ever, and I'm sure this happened to you earlier in your career, do you reach out to filmmakers, that young filmmakers that you are impressed by? Do you ever, have, has that happened in recent years where? Not, uh, the last time that that happened uh, uh, was uh, the guy who did It Follows. Was it Robert Michael Mitchell? Yes. Yeah, okay. Yeah. Yeah. Did uh, you see this under the subworld? Yeah, I did. Yeah, I liked yeah, yeah. it. It's my favorite movie so far this year. Oh, really? Yeah, yeah. Uh -huh. I haven't seen that much this year because I'm making a movie, but right. I really did like it. I saw the, saw the arc light. Um, and so, uh, uh, yeah, so I, I, I uh, so we kind of reached out to each other to some degree yeah. and everything. Yeah. And so, uh, uh, yeah, but I liked him. But uh, um, oftentimes I'll, I'll, I'll meet people, but I don't just like call them, hey, give yeah. me this guy's number in Cleveland so I can call him <laughs> up and tell him I liked his zombie movie. <laughs> Do, um, we were talking before about sort of like the, the, the role that luck plays for actors and often for filmmakers early in, in a career. What do you think the luckiest thing that ever happened to you was that set you on this right path? No, winning the Palme d'Or for Pulp Fiction. 
easily. That's it. <laughs> that defined that that set you down the path. That's well. The, I mean, it it officially it, it immediately made me one of the biggest filmmakers in the world. Yes. I mean, I don't know about Hollywood, but I'm just I made me one of the international big filmmakers. I mean, every country respected that. Yeah. And uh, um, and. Uh, I might have fought with Harvey about the length of the film if I hadn't already won the Palm Door. Right. All right. So it got to go out pretty much the way we took it to Con, which was straight from the editing table. Yeah. You know. Uh, um, so the prestige of that, the way it set off the movie, the way it set off my career as an international filmmaker, a yeah. world-renowned filmmaker. Well, the, that's it. Man. You mentioned Harvey. I'm just curious. As somebody that that appreciates legacy so much, does it bother you at all that his name is on so many of your films in perpetuity? That People might have that. They'll see that name, and it conjures up images. Unfortunately, for people, uh, he paid for them. Yeah, he produced them, and he did a good job producing them. Yeah, you know, I don't quite agree that every name should be scrubbed off. Right, for a body of work that is actually legit. I hear you. Um, I was talking to your stars uh, a few moments ago. First of all, I've discovered that Brad Pitt has never seen Gone with the Wind, so that, that's, that's, that's a revelation. Uh, we also reminisce a little bit about True Ro- Romance. Yeah, I don't remember this for a fact. Were you on set for True Romance? No, at all? I never showed up on set for True Romance. Did you yeah. not want to, or was it just not the nature of it at the time that Tony? No, I didn't want. No, no, I, uh, uh, I kind of didn't want to. I think they wanted me to, and I think they thought I was being weird. All right, and I wasn't being weird. I was. What uh, um, well, I didn't know what hell I was doing back then. So I, I had this little idea that it was like, uh, well, if the writer's not going to be on set every day, he shouldn't be on set at all. <laughs> and maybe I didn't mean every day, but the idea is either I'm, I'm, I'm making the movie with you and yep. we're doing it and then uh, I'm coming up with ideas or you're asking me to change things for whatever and it's all working or else just do what you want to do. <laughs> <laughs> what did you, it must have been such a trip to see that film, whether in finished form or whatever cut you saw first. Oh, it was magnificent. I'm, I, I love True Romance. It's one of my favorite movies of all time. You what know? did you think of what Brad did with Floyd? <laughs> oh, he's, he's amazing. I mean, you know, and by the way, he did it. I mean, the, more or less, the things that happen in this, uh, with Floyd in the movie, more or less happen in the script, but the character that Brad played, that's all him. Yeah. That's that. That's I, I can't take credit for that. That, Without, that character is all him. <laughs> Without ruining anything, you've written another uh, drug-induced uh, character yeah. in this one. He's, yes, I did. <laughs> <laughs> there must have been a lot of catharsis for Leo in this film. Mm-hmm. Whether it's like he was a child actor having that great scene, a yeah. couple scenes with a young child actor, um, you know, being in shitty commercials that he had to do yeah. as a kid, um, <laughs> railing against hippies when he was raised by hippies. Yeah, I, I mean, it's yeah. so much so like, I mean, you could just put him on the couch for hours, I'm yeah. sure. Uh, yeah. Did that spawn a lot of like, was that conversation did all that kind of spawn conversation on set in terms of like he must that must have been so much that he was using internally well i mean well in particularly like the things that we talked about was you know uh, um how great success and great failure and midland success and great success and uh, uh lost opportunity and found opportunity are in this town can live next door to each other. Yeah. And in this instance, literally. Literally, Roman Polanski next, next door. Next door to each other. Yeah. And, um, and the thing about it is he understands that. You know, when he was a young child actor and he was going out for things and everything, there's like, you know, five other boys. Yeah. Like him. And he knows who those five guys are. And, you know, three of them 
got pretty far yep. on uh, the audition process for this boy's life. But he's the one that got it, you know. And when he would go to the audition, uh, go to the, the office, the outer offices for auditions, it was like a lot of times it was one of those five guys or two of those five guys were there. Yep. You know, and so they okay, this is my main competition. These are the guys. Well, Leo is the one that ended out on top. Right. Now they're all still around. They're all doing their thing, but they're not the guy that got this boy's life. That's crazy. But they could have been the guy that got this boy's life. Yeah. And you have to remind yourself of that. Yeah, probably, you know, Brad, you know, Brad knows who the first two people who had his role in Thelma and Louise were. Yep. Because they were literally in the film. They were actually in the film. Yeah, exactly. Um, When you look back, what's the filmmaking, at least in terms of experience on set that you idealize the most? What was your happiest time on a film set? Hmm. Um, I'm sure I had... I'm sure I've had like great euphoric moments with this versus that and mm-hmm. that versus this. But um, I think the, fu- you know, I think Hateful Eight, the nastiest movie I ever made, was <laughs> the funnest movie I ever made. There was something about just being in that cabin set every day. Yeah. And creating that those snow effects, and um, and you were asking me about well, what, what's your favorite movies or this and then the other. Um, it's not that I think Hateful Eight is my favorite movie, but I kind of think it might be the best direction of my material, mm. if that makes any sense. There was just uh, it was really easy to block the scene. Yeah, it was really easy to block the actors. It was just it just. And I don't think I would have had that. I, I don't. I, I don't think it would have been that second nature. Sure. Uh, uh, ten years earlier. Yeah. But by the time I wrote it, and the actors had really rehearsed it a bunch, a bunch, and so they were ready to go like a play, it was easy. I mean, it was really easy to block it. It was really easy to come up with those shots. I mean, I didn't even have to think about it. I could literally just make it up as I went along. Yeah. And uh, it was just a. And I just felt a really solidness because we weren't. Rushing from location to this location to sense. that location. Yeah. It also must have been just manna from heaven. Like you look in every corner and it's it's every so much film history yeah, in, yeah. on that set. Yeah. Oh, absolutely. And but one and also, but I also that was a situation where I decided to, you know, uh, each new movie, I try to, uh, I ended up doing something like different than the way I've done before in mm. order to achieve an effect. Like for instance, one of the things that I, um, uh, you know, normally I don't leave scenes unfinished right like it was like no we're gonna we'll finish the damn scene you know even if we have to go back tomorrow we'll finish the scene uh but since capturing the weather on hateful late was so important that that was not possible on hateful late we wouldn't know really what the weather would be until like pretty much like the next night right you know what by by the time we got to the night we would have a really good idea what tomorrow's morning's weather would be yeah but only not only until then so if there actually is going to be falling snow, and that's what we're looking for, is falling snow. Yeah. So then we'll do one side of the them talking in the stagecoach with the falling snow. Well, it's not going to be falling snow the next day. Right. So we might not do the other half of that scene for three weeks. I'm not used to working like that. I worked like that for the whole two months 
when we're doing the movie. Okay, if the sun is straight up, we're uh, it's hot. We're we're in the stagecoach. Right. If it's cloudy and it's this, we're in the we're in the Minnie's haberdashery. If the snow's falling, we're on this mountain. If the snow is doing this, we're on that mountain. And just that was just how it was. Yep. Yep. For like two months. Well, that ended up kind of being invigorating. I mean, Bob <laughs> Richardson gave like, wow, I'm really proud of you. This is so not your way, and you're just doing. It. I go, well, I don't have a choice. <laughs> I have one last quick thing. I know you have to run. Um, of the material you've written over the years that's never been produced, is there one that you love the most? Mm. A script, a short story, anything that you'd still like to see, see the light of day in some form? Mm, that's interesting. Uh, um, I don't know if I'm ever going to do it, but my favorite thing I think that I have written was back when... Inglorious Bastards was going to be a miniseries. Miniseries. Yeah. Uh, um, it dealt with a whole bunch of black troops in World War II, right. and I had two sequences. Uh, but the one sequence in particular was uh, was the sequence that sort of set them up. And uh, you've heard you remember you've heard of the longest day, right? Yeah. Well, this is the day after the longest day. And part of the job after they, they got control of the beach, of Omaha Beach, part of the job was um, now they're just literally just moving equipment and trying to get off the beach. All right. It was the job of the black soldiers uh, to pick up all the uh, 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 to pick up the dead bodies off the beach and then take them over to the burying area where the Germans prisoners were, were burying the American. Right. Uh, the dead American soldiers. Uh, and then it was the black soldier's job. It was the black soldier's job to collect the bodies, bring them over, and to guard the German soldiers. However, the, Ameri the, the white American officers didn't give the black soldiers ammo. Now, the German soldiers didn't know that. But they're, they're, they're guarding them with empty guns. <laughs> <laughs> There's tension. There's natural tension yeah. there. Uh, one, because they didn't quite trust them with live ammo. Mm -hmm. And two, because they needed all the live ammo to be fighting the Germans that are over on the hedgerows. And that was like a 20-minute sequence of, you know, with the whole thing laid out and the German soldiers digging and then Aldo show. It was, it's, it's a good sequence. It's a good set piece. <laughs> it's, good, it's good to know there's stuff in the drawer ready yeah. for us. Um, it's always a pleasure, sir. As I said, I, I love this one. Once upon a time in Hollywood. Uh, it's, yeah, let's open the theme park because I want to just live okay. in this world a little bit longer. Um, okay, it's, you it's, got a, it. it's a great time at the movies, man, and I always well, appreciate I'm glad, taking the time. I'm glad it's your 13th favorite movie of the year. I don't even. <laughs> <laughs> I don't even know how to respond. <laughs> Okay, Easter 12th. I'm sorry. <laughs> it'll, it'll be higher. Okay. Good to see you, buddy. Thank you, Faith. I appreciate it. <laughs>